Hello everyone, I'm Bob Main, and welcome to episode 109 of today's survival show. It is my goal to help you harness the power of choice, to live life the way you want to live it, on your own terms, and strengthen your resolve. My goal is to make this subject of survivalism, to make it simple, not extreme. I don't like tinfoil hat type thinking. I don't like far out paranoid type stuff, into the world, Armageddon, all that stuff. I'm not saying that that's not possible. I just like to focus on the likelihood of it, which is pretty slim, and I'm a positive guy. I can't help it, folks. Please forgive me, but I take a positive attitude towards survival. Uh, you know, there are so many shows out there and blogs that take a negative attitude. You know, if, if you listen to enough of those and you read enough of those, you're going to think that, you know, I mean, the whole world's going to fall apart tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and you're going down the drain with it. Is that possible? Yeah. But is it really likely? Probably not. And you know what? If that's going to happen, if tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock the whole world is, is ending and you're going down the drain with it, then i got a question for you. What can you do about it? I mean, think about it. If it's really that bad, what can you do? You can't do anything. Um, me, here's my thought on that. I'm a person of faith, and so because of my faith, I know where I'm going to go if that happens. Now, this is not a religious show, and I'm not going to impose my religion upon you. I'm a Christian. I understand what's going to happen to me uh, according to my beliefs. If that's the case, if the end of the world is tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, like some people would want to have you believe, then guess what? Uh, I, I feel good about my chances of a good afterlife. Now, that's just my thinking. I am not going to impose that on you. And I'm not going to say that you're not a good survivalist if you don't think like me. But that is just my thinking. So what I like to do is I like to think about the fact that the world's not going to end tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning, that we're not headed for some kind of a impending huge, humongous disaster like that. I like to think that along the way, through the rest of our lives, we're going to hit a lot of minor disasters. We're going to encounter a lot of minor things, and here's the, here's the challenge. The minor things can add up to a huge problem if you don't have the ability to handle them. I mean, you know, job loss... Uh, again, I don't want to get political here, but our government has done zero to create more jobs. In fact, people are still losing them by the thousands and thousands and thousands every month. Now, that some people would classify a job loss as a minor disaster. And even if you classify it as a minor disaster, it can be major if you go long enough without some type of an income or some type of a way to sustain yourself through the dry period of no income. Okay, some of you live in parts of the world where hurricanes are still a, a problem, and this is still hurricane season. So you might be thinking that, you know, a minor disaster could happen if a hurricane comes through your area. Some people think that a hurricane could be a major disaster. But I think you get the point. If your home gets broken into, some people think that that's a minor disaster. 
you know what? It, all these things can add up. So that's the approach that I take on this show. And uh, my positive thinking comes out. That's just because of the way I was raised and the mentor that has shaped most of my life. You know, Cody Lundin loves to say, and I agree with him, that survival is 90% psychological, 90% attitude. And I'm 100% a believer in that. So that's the approach. I know there's a lot of new listeners to this show and a lot of new international listeners, by the way. Let me thank you for listening to this show in other countries. Uh, it's it's good to hear from you. Keep sending those, and that's great. I'm glad that my reach is outside of the United States as well. So in this show, I want to talk about a specific skill, and that is shooting skills. Now, this is not a gun show, and I don't believe that survival is all about guns and ammo. I do another podcast about guns, specifically only on firearms. It's called the Handgun World Show, and that website is handgunworld.com. Some of you know me from over there, some of you don't. If you are interested, that show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Uh, they took me on a few months ago, and it's been great. So that's dedicated to guns. But today I want to talk about shooting as a skill. I'm not going to get real gun-specific, but I'm going to talk about it as a skill because it is a preparation. Now, some people say, well, Bob, what's the likelihood that I'm going to have to shoot somebody? Well, the likelihood you're going to have to shoot somebody is probably not on the top 10 or 12 disasters that could happen to you. But you may have to shoot an animal. You may have to shoot an animal if you're in a survival situation. You might have to shoot an animal if it's being a pest to you or a family member or your property. So don't think about shooting skills as only shooting other people. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, we could find ourselves in that situation. If you've been following the television show The Colony, uh, you know, I, I, I look at that and, you know, when those invaders came in and stole that woman uh, because she was out looking, you know, picking for berries and things, you know, I mean, let's face it, if she was armed, that might not have happened. You know, but they don't have any weapons on that show. They don't have any firearms on that show. If you're preparing properly, you're probably going to have firearms. Please don't neglect this. Now, I know some of you live where firearms are not allowed. And if you're choosing to tune into this show, even if firearms are not allowed, thank you. You know, maybe you're coming from the mindset that that might change for you someday. Maybe handguns aren't allowed, but you can own long guns, like shotguns and rifles. So I'm going to talk about shooting skills with those as well. And a lot of this is going to, some of this could apply to you as well. But if you live in the United States of America, and you're allowed to own a firearm, I'm not talking about concealed carry, I'm talking about if you're allowed to own a firearm, which is most places in the U.S., please take advantage of it, and take advantage of what I'm going to talk about in today's show, which is the skill of shooting. Uh, some people favor skills over gear. That's kind of me. I, I like to learn skills and learn techniques versus accumulating gear. I'm not saying survival gear is not important. It's definitely important to have generators and have canning equipment and dehydrating equipment and equipment to cultivate your garden and so forth. And knives and tools to build things with and stuff like that. All that is important. Gear is extremely important. Emergency, bug out bags, things like that. That's all very important. I'm not saying that it's not. But I'm saying that know-how, the know-how to do things, I think, is as important or maybe even more important. Because it's often easier to acquire a supply than it would be to acquire a skill. Think about that. If the stink hits the fan, 
in a really bad way, what's it going to be easier to do? Acquire supplies or acquire a skill? I think it's going to be easier to acquire a supply because you can barter with someone. You can trade. You might find something. You might be able to make something out of... Uh, be able to do something with something that does not have a, a, an original intended use. In other words, if you go to our forum, M. Barnata loves to uh, post challenges on our forum to think about alternative uses for items. So there might be a uh, an item that has a specific use and if you have the skill and the know-how you can turn that and, and use you can do something else with it. I'm having a hard time getting the point across here but I think you know what I mean. Alternative uses for gear. So that's why I favor skill, I favor brain power, I favor know-how more than I favor supplies. I still think, and set me straight if I'm wrong, get on the forum and set me straight, but I think it's going to be easier to acquire a, uh, a piece of gear. If, if, if you don't have something, if you haven't prepared for it, it's going to be easier to acquire that than it would be to all of a sudden learn a new skill, especially after the stress of a disaster happening. So with that, let me talk about learning how to shoot. Now, there are several reasons why you want to learn how to shoot. And again, if you don't like guns, you might want to rethink your, your priorities a little bit. Uh, it, it is a preparation. It is a preparation. It is some, And maybe when I'm done with this podcast, I will convince you why not just collecting guns and ammo is important, but learning how to use them and, and learning to perfect that skill. Uh, maybe I'll convince you as to why that's important. There are several reasons why you want to have good shooting skills. Let's talk about hunting, first of all. I grew up hunting. Uh, I've been hunting since I was just a little over 10 years old. I don't get a chance to hunt that much anymore. And, it, you know, that's something that I think I'm going to put on my goal list for 2011 is to do some more hunting and perfect that. I've been doing more fishing lately, as you can see by some of the photos I've been posting on the forum. been doing more fishing than hunting, which I'm going to do a whole fishing show coming up pretty soon because, boy, isn't that an important survival skill. And not just fishing with a pole, but there's other ways to catch fish. But hunting is something I need to sharpen up on. It's, it's kind of like riding a bike, though. Once you've learned how to hunt and you've learned how to shoot game, it comes back to you real quickly if you've been away from it for a while. It is a perishable skill, so if you learn how to shoot and hunt and you never, ever do it again, then you will forget a lot. So that's why I'm deciding to set a goal uh, probably in the spring of 2011 to start sharpening up my hunting skills. But that's one reason why you want to know how to shoot. Uh, another reason, obviously, to defend yourself. You may have to shoot in self-defense. I hope it doesn't happen. And, you know, I know the likelihood of it is slim, but it could, especially after a disaster, it could happen, folks. In fact, after a disaster, it's probably far more likely that you're going to have to shoot somebody than right now before any disaster has happened to you. So, self-defense. And in the United States of America, we have a Second Amendment. We have a fundamental right. The Supreme Court has affirmed that twice now. With uh, It first of all started with the Heller case, and then recently the McDonald versus Chicago case. The first one was Heller's, Heller versus Washington, D.C., and then most recently McDonald versus Chicago. Both of those, the Supreme Court of the United States reaffirmed our inherent, fundamental Second Amendment right. It's a right that has been God-given to us for self-defense. The Constitution Constitution basically reaffirms it. And the Supreme Court had to reaffirm that that's what the Constitution said. I know it's crazy. I know it's you would think, well, if it's if it's a God-given right, Bob, why would we have to 
have a, a constitution and a Supreme Court to verify that. The reason is, is because there's a lot of people out there that don't believe you have the right to defend yourself. And shame on them. But I'm going to be real careful not to let my blood boil thinking about people like that. Because most of the people out there that don't believe you have the right to defend yourself, they are hypocrites. They're guarded by armed guards, yet they don't believe that you have the right to defend yourself. But I digress. I won't, I won't dig into that much. So you could have to shoot to somebody, shoot at somebody in self-defense. You may have to shoot at an animal for a game to put food on the table. Or you might have to shoot an animal that is just a menace to you and your property and your loved ones. And maybe even you're trying to grow some food and an animal is a menace to you. Or you may have to shoot a snake. Or you may have to shoot some dangerous animal that might be about to attack you or attack a family member. All of these are important to survival. Are they not? So, let's talk about hunting first. If you don't already have at least one gun that you can hunt with, uh, get one. Uh, for less than a couple of hundred dollars, for, for the price of what some of you pay for a generator or a sol solar panel or a whole bunch of gardening equipment or a whole bunch of canning equipment or dehydrated food or food storage and stuff like that, for less than a couple hundred dollars, you can get yourself a good hunting gun. I know some of you have been posting on the forum saying that you got a shotgun that you're getting pretty soon uh, or a rifle that you're getting pretty soon. Find an, at the very least, find an inexpensive center fire rifle or a good inexpensive shotgun and buy it. It's part of your preparations. And then learn how to use it. The NRA still gives great uh, gun safety classes and excellent ch training classes. Just Google, get on the internet and Google NRA hunting training and you'll find them. All right, find somebody that you know that loves to hunt and go out with them. Even if you only go out twice a year, go out with them and pick their brain. And, uh, you know, go practice. If you have a shotgun, go shoot some skeet or shoot some trap and practice with your shotgun. Even if you just go out to a range and practice plinking with your hunting rifle, uh, do that. Learn how to sight it in. Learn how to maybe bore sight it. Learn how to clean it and so forth. There's all kinds of excellent uh, firearms training that you can get that's not very uh, expensive. So for less than a couple hundred dollars, find a good one. Let me give you some suggestions. Again, this is not a gun show. I'm going to talk about learning how to shoot. But some suggestions would be to get a good lever action 30-30, get a bolt action 30-06 or a bolt action 308. If you like semi-autos, uh, an SKS in 7.62 by 39 caliber is, is a pretty decent idea. And you can get those for a couple of hundred dollars without much uh, uh, shopping around and so forth. And the ammo is still relatively inexpensive, uh, the 7.62 by 39 ammo. You don't have to have a $1,500 AR-15. You don't have to have a $1,000 scoped 308 where the scope costs as much as a gun. You know, you can get mosin Nagant rifles, uh, the old Russian World War II rifles. I think the correct pronunciation is Musin Nagant. Uh, I did a whole podcast at the Handgun World Show recently about military surplus guns. So go listen to that. I'll put a link in today's shows about that. But you can even find those for $120 in excellent condition. And that, that will serve as both, a, that'll do double duty as a bolt-action hunting gun and as a self-defense gun. All right, let me tell you something, folks. One shot... From a Mosin Nagant, one shot from a 7.62 by 54 round, 
That 7.62 by 54R is ballistically about the same as a 30-06. One or two shots, and they're going down if it's in self-defense. You can hunt any game, pretty much any game in North America with a Mosin Nagant. And you know what's excellent about those guns? Almost anybody can own them. Because they're bolt-action, four-shot or five-shot capacity rifles, so they're not banned by a whole bunch of restrictive gun laws. So at least get one of those. I'll put a link in today's show notes of a couple of different places where you can get one. If it's a shotgun, you know, heck, you can go to almost any sporting goods store and you can find a pump-action shotgun available. And even for those of you who live in apartments, folks, uh, you know, I just did that interview with, with Fraser Khan on apartment survivalism and Raven Wolf from the forum. She just recently put some excellent info on the uh, forum about apartment survivalism. Folks, if you live in an apartment in a densely populated area like that, I would recommend a shotgun. And I would strongly recommend a 12-gauge pump shotgun. The reason being is they don't the, the shot doesn't travel as far as a rifle does, so there's less likely of you less likely of the danger of you hitting and sh- and, and uh, killing somebody else that you did not did not intend to shoot. If you have to shoot in self-defense, uh, that shotgun's going to lose its lethality after probably about 40 yards, 50 yards or so. Whereas a rifle can travel hundreds, if not thousands of yards, and still be lethal. So, get yourself a good 12-gauge. You can also hunt. You know, I don't have to talk about how practical a hunting gun, how practical a shotgun is for hunting, do I? I mean, that's probably like the quintessential hunting gun, isn't it? A shotgun. All kinds of things you can do with a shotgun. If it's a survival situation, if you've got to put food on the table, and you live where there's a lot of waterfowl, you can take ducks, you can take geese easily. Uh, if they're field birds, if they're pheasant or grouse where you live. When I grew up in Wisconsin, we used to hunt a lot of rough grouse up there. Uh, I became a pretty good grouse hunter. They're hard to shoot, but after a while you learn. And when you practice and when you go to the trap and skeet ranges and you practice shooting moving, moving targets with shotguns, you learn to shoot grouse. We used to shoot a lot of pheasant up there in Wisconsin too. We used to travel over to Minnesota and South Dakota and do a lot of fe- pheasant hunting as well. All when I was a, when I was a youngster. Uh, not to mention turkeys. If you live in an area like I do where you can hunt wild turkey, uh, shotguns are great for that. So I think a shotgun is probably the best all-around gun to own and to learn to shoot. Uh, one of the best ways learning to shoot a shotgun is take up trap, take up skeet, even if you only go a few times a year. Find somebody that will teach you. There's inexpensive trap and skeet lessons. Uh, just go out. If you know somebody that has land, tell you what else you can do. I've done this quite often. I've done this quite often. Most recently, I did this up in Oklahoma. My wife's family owns about a little over 600 acres of farmland in Oklahoma. And most recently, uh, I've gotten together with buddies, and we just went down to Walmart, and we purchased a uh, a hand uh, clay target thrower and a whole couple cases of clay targets. And one person just stands uh, about 20 yards away and uses the hand thrower and throws the clays up in the air, and another person with their shotgun picks them off picks off the clay targets <laughs> not not the person throwing them by hand <laughs> okay i wanted to clarify that but even that's fun even that's just decent practice shooting uh targets clay targets that are on the move with your shotgun go to walmart and get some cheap number eight bird shot uh practice with it just some field loads doesn't cost much and go out there and practice with your shotgun if you know somebody that has land if not just pay the small fee to go to a range for a couple of hours and do that Learn 
to shoot. Learn to get semi-proficient with what you own. If it's just a handgun, uh, let's talk about handguns for a minute. If you live in an area of the world, and again, I know there's other parts of the world where handguns are legal. Let me say this, no matter whether you live in the United States or where you're listening to me from. If you can own a handgun, own a handgun. Have you ever read Furfall's blog? Have you ever read his book, Surviving in Argentina? He talks about how important it is, after a collapse, to have a handgun. Uh, I'll put some links to his blog. Go through and read what he says about his blog. If you, some of you have read his book, I know, so please chime in on the forum if you've read his book about what he says on owning a handgun, how important it is. If you can legally own a handgun, folks, get one. Please. Even if you have to get an inexpensive handgun. Uh, you can find surplus handguns. Uh, again, let me invite you to listen to my surplus guns podcast that I did at the Handgun World Show. Even if that's the only podcast of my Handgun World show that you listen to, I talk about how to find inexpensive, good quality handguns for less than a couple of hundred dollars. And how to get ammo for those. Cheaply. I talk about that all over there. So what I will do is I will find uh, that show link and I'll put it in today's show notes. Listen to that. Uh, It's not very long. In fact, I think the podcast, the whole show I did was only about 37 or 38 minutes long. Even if it's just a low-cost 38 special revolver with a 4-inch barrel, you shop around, you can find those for less than, than $300. A three, 357 Magnum, you can do some hunting, folks, with a 4-inch 357 Magnum. It has a dual purpose. Handguns, a lot of handguns have dual purposes. And, and that's one of the reasons why I favor them over shotguns and rifles. And why I would say, if you're listening to this show, and you, you say, Okay, Bob, you got me convinced. I want to learn how to shoot. But I don't own any guns right now, and I've never had any training. What's the first gun I should buy, and what's the first training I should get? My recommendation is going to be the first gun you should buy would be a handgun, and that's the kind of training that you should get. Here's why. A revolver, for example. Let's talk about a three fifty-seven Magnum revolver. I don't care what brand, any brand. There's a lot of ammo out there, especially by a manufacturer called Buffalo Bore. There are, there's 357 Magnum ammo, extremely powerful. You can take game with a 357 Magnum revolver. Lots of people do it. Uh, just recently on our forum, M. Jolnir just put a great post. I'll link to that too. Uh, he put a great post as to what can happen with a 9mm 115 grain round. Uh, and it was involving an 85 pound goat. Check that out. Wow, what an awesome post that is, complete with pictures. I'll warn you, the pictures are a bit graphic. Might not be something that you want kids to look at. But let me tell you what. You can do a lot just with a 9mm handgun. And yes, you can take game with a 9mm handgun. With the right ammo, you can do it. I'm not saying it's ideal. But if that's all you got, you can do it. Again, Buffalo Boar makes excellent 9mm ammo. Corbon makes excellent 9mm ammo. Spear Gold Dot. I think that's what the M. Jolnir used on that 85-pound goat was Spear Gold Dot. 115 grain, 9mm ammunition. Now, I don't want to get real technical and all that and start getting into a bunch of gun terminology and things, but you would be amazed what you can do with a handgun. 
A well-trained person with a handgun can take game, can defend themselves, they can dispatch pesky or dangerous animals. There's lots of things that you can do with it. So I would say that's what you should try to get if you're thinking, okay, Bob, how do I get started? Get some kind of a 38 or 357 revolver or a good, reliable 9mm handgun. Get something decent quality, uh, and it still shouldn't cost you a whole lot of money. So training. Learning to shoot. Hey, a couple weeks ago I took close-range gunfighting class uh, put on by Suarez International. Uh, Gabe Suarez is the owner of the company. Glenn Matthews was the trainer. i got to tell you something, folks. That was a huge eye-opener. First of all, it showed me what you can do with a handgun. You can do some amazing stuff with a handgun. Now, that was all self-defense training. That wasn't any hunting training. That was all combat training with a handgun. How to shoot multiple threats, how to shoot threats that are on the move, how to shoot threats that are in front of you and behind you, doing 360-degree after-action assessments, doing left and right after-action assessments, uh, you know, lots of different... We, folks, it was, it was some very, very good close-quarters combat training. Shooting with a weak hand, shooting left-handed because I'm a right-hander, so shooting, you know, backwards, basically, as I say. And uh, there was a lot of, and we were all very safe with it, folks, and it was one of the best two-day training classes, and it just helped me sharpen my skills with my defensive handgun. So, instead of buying another gun, get some more training. Okay? There's a lot of people that are in the survival that buy guns, and they keep buying guns and buying guns and buying ammo and buying ammo. Nothing wrong with buying guns and stocking up on ammo. How about training? If you already own a handgun, have you trained with it? Do you really know how to use it? And I'm not talking about going there and standing and plinking at a range. That's not what I'm talking about, folks. I'm not saying go stand there, rent some range time, and fire off 200 rounds and try to shoot nice little tight groups. That's not self-defense training. Now, that might help you in a hunting situation. I mean, if you're in a hunting blind or you're out in the woods and you got to pull out your revolver or you got to pull out your 10 millimeter handgun and you can stand there and get a good sight picture and focus in on the target and focus in on that animal and shoot him, yes, then that's where plinking training is going to help you probably. Or let's say the situation is uh, an, ammo, uh, an animal that's about to attack you and your family and if that, ammo, if that animal happens to stand still long enough for you to shoot it before it can attack you or your family member, then that's where your plinking training may pay off. But that going to the range and plinking is not going to help you if you are being attacked by three thugs from different directions and it all happens within seconds and you've got to be able to try to get your gun out and defend yourself. All right, or if it's a fast-moving animal that's threatening you and you've got to be able to get your handgun out and defend yourself. All that plinking training is not going to help you. All that time you spent at the range rolling that target out to seven yards and trying to shoot a nice tight group, that won't help you in a self-defense situation. I'm sorry, and if that disappoints you, I'm very sorry. But you know what, folks? After taking close-range gunfighting and shooting a lot of IDPA with my handgun, it makes me realize how true that very is. Basically, the only reason why I go to a range and stand there and plink with my handgun is if I'm testing out a new gun, or I'm testing out new sights, or I'm wanting to make sure that new ammo cycles through my gun properly. That's it. I mean, can, can any of you think of any other benefit that you're going to get from going to a range and just standing there and plinking? So get some real training. Even if all you do is spend 15 bucks every few months 
and take your handgun and 150 rounds of ammo and go to an IDPA match. That stands for International Defensive Pistol Association. Or go to a USPSA match, United States Practical Shooting Association. They're very welcoming to beginners, so don't worry if you say, Oh, Bob, you know, I'd be intimidated. I don't want to do that. I'm just a beginner. I don't know what I'm doing. That's fine. If you're just a beginner, you don't know what you're doing, that's fine. They'll welcome you. Here's all you need for that. All you need is a, is a decent handgun, 9mm or larger, about 150 rounds of ammo, and a proper uh, concealed carry holster to carry it in. And you don't even need to have magazine carriers. Uh, when I first started shooting IDPA, I put my magazines in my back pocket. Because that's where I used to carry my extra mags. I went to a match like that. You know, certainly it slows you down a little bit, but you can still practice that way. So just have a have a handgun, 150 rounds of ammo or so, and and a holster. And that's it. And you can go to an IDPA match. Of course, you have to have eye protection and ear protection, but you could rent those uh, from somebody or borrow those from somebody if you needed to, if you don't have the money to invest in those. And go spend an afternoon. It'll take about three and a half, four hours. Go spend an afternoon at one of those matches. You will be surprised by the end of that match. How much better you are with your handgun than before you showed up. Or at least you'll be surprised and you'll know what you have to work on. You'll also, I'm going to warn you about something, folks. If you go to an IDPA match for the first time, I'm going to warn you about something. It may really open your eyes and show you how much you don't know about guns. I'm serious. There's a lot you don't know about guns. And you know what the thing is? You don't know that you don't know how to defend yourself. You're at that stage where I call the unconscious incompetent. You don't know that you don't know. And it'll open your eyes. It'll show you what you don't know when you go to one of those matches. Because you're going to be shooting on the move. You're going to be shooting at moving targets. You're going to be shooting from different types of positions and different distances and different size targets and everything. So if you think you're good uh, and you, you you think you've gone to a square range and you've you're all trained up, right? Oh yeah, you got that handgun tuned up where you can shoot those nice two-inch groups at 25 yards. And you can do that fairly consistently. If you think you're good and you can do that and you've never been to IDPA or USPSA or you've never taken gone to a gun training school or anything like that, go to one of those and then email me and tell me how good you are. I don't, I'm not trying to put you down. Because if you have the type of gun and you have the type of skills where you can shoot those 2-inch groups with a handgun at 25 yards, or you can shoot those 1.5-inch groups at 100 yards with your rifle, that's great. You know what? I can't do that. I don't possess that kind of skill. But I believe I possess enough skill to uh, get myself out of a dangerous situation with my handgun. With my 9mm Glock 19, which is uh, the favorite handgun that I own, uh, I have uh, two of these things. And I'll tell you what, folks, I can tell you something with my Glock 19. Uh, I have shot it so many times, and I've trained with it so much, that I feel very confident. It, do I have a lot to learn? You bet. i got a ton to learn. But I've been shooting this gun now for over five and a half years, and I've taken two different training classes, and I've lost count how many IDPA matches that I've shot with a Glock 19 or something similar. And I feel like I would have a fighting chance if I was in danger. I also feel I could do some hunting with this gun. I could put some... And again, I'm going to try not to get real technical, folks. Because I know some of you are not gun people. And that's okay. 
But when you study this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I can put 147 grain Ranger SXT hollow points in my Glock 19, which is some pretty powerful 9mm ammo. And if I had to, with the right kind of shot placement, I could take some medium-sized game with it. If it's a survival situation and I'm hungry, I might not be able to shoot a feral hog because they're tough. But if some other medium-sized game showed up, I could shoot it. And I'm, and I'm talking about game that's, uh, you know, 80 or 90 pounds or less. And if, and if M. Jolnir on our forum can uh, take care of the 85-pound 85, 85 goat with 9mm 115 grain, I can do the same thing. And I'm accurate and I'm good enough with this handgun where I can do that. So that's why I'm a big fan of handguns. And, you know, Furfall makes a very good point in his blog. If you can only afford one gun right now, and I know we're all on tight budgets. So maybe you're on a tight budget and you say, all right, Bob, I get it. Shooting skill is a skill I need to learn for various reasons because I am a survivalist and I believe in that. But, man, I don't have a whole lot of money. Get the handgun for less than 300 bucks. You can take a revolver to IDPA, folks. You can do that. You can take a revolver. There's a whole separate division for revolvers in IDPA. What that means is you're competing against other people that are shooting revolvers. But even if you don't care about the competition, even if you don't care about winning, just go there to learn how to shoot your defensive revolver better or your hunting revolver. See, that's the other thing too, folks. Go to a... uh, a match, and by the way, go to IDPA.com or USPSA.com. Check those websites out and find out where matches are near you. Take your hunting gun. I'm not talking about your hunting rifle or your hunting shotgun because those matches I just talked about are for pistols. But your local IDPA and USPSA clubs, they do have carbine matches where you do take your rifle, and they do have defensive shotgun matches. Okay, most ranges, most shooting ranges will sponsor some type of a competition activity. Or you can just go down to your local shooting range and say, hey, I want to learn how to shoot. And they'll tell you there's all kinds of classes. There's even one-day defensive handgun classes that are affordable. Uh, I know one range that offers a one-day beginner shooter handgun classes for like $110. So budget it. Budget it and take a beginner handgun class. Even if you have to use that handgun to go out and and shoot some game with it, folks, what you learn in that handgun class will pay off. You'll learn some marksmanship skills. You'll learn how to properly get a sight picture and get a good grip and and, and a good stance in order to be able to hit what you're shooting at. So if the stink does hit the fan and you've got to shoot some small game to put some food on the table, you can do it. Or if the stink hits the fan and some coyotes or snakes or other unwelcome uh, animals come into your camp, because you took that basic handgun class, you may be able to dispatch those unwanted animals much easier than if you didn't learn the skill of shooting. Remember, for those of you that think, man, Bob, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, man, I just don't think I'm ever going to have to shoot anybody. I think the likelihood of you having to shoot somebody will multiply exponentially after a disaster. Think about Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Was there more danger after that hurricane came through in New Orleans? Was there more danger than before it came through? Yes. You know, I'm talking about Furfall's blog in this uh, show. You know, read uh, what he talks about. I think it was back in 2001 when the Argentine economy collapsed. 
Was there more of a likelihood that he had to shoot in self-defense after the collapse or before? I think the answer is obvious. Yes, after a disaster, there is more likelihood than today, before a disaster, more likelihood that you're going to have to use your gun. So it kind of bothers me when a lot of people say, eh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, as a survivalist on guns because I don't think there's going to come a day where I'm ever going to have to use it. Really? I submit to you this. If you really are preparing for a stink-hit-the-fan event, that is when it is most likely that you're going to have to use your gun is after a stink-hit-the-fan event. And you better be be prepared. I'm saying to you folks, you better be prepared. You better know how to use your gun. Because like I said, going there and standing there and plinking out of, uh, uh, at a range is not knowing how to use your gun. Alright, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll use the example of police officers. And I know there's a lot of police officers that listen to this show. Uh, recently, uh, I had Jack Pine Savage on the show, uh, who is uh, on our forum. And it's the second time he's been on the show. And he's a deputy sheriff in the state of Minnesota. And by the way, Greg, thanks for coming on the show. That last interview was fantastic. And hopefully when you listen to that last interview, hopefully that also, uh, Greg's interview, hopefully motivates you to get some training with your firearms. And get some training on the aftermath of having to defend yourself. There's all kinds of good courses on that too. Make that part of your training budget. What to do after you defend yourself. Even if it's not with a gun, folks. You know, I hope that you got from that interview that even if you defend yourself with something that's not a gun, if you hurt, maim, or kill somebody, you're still going to have some explaining to do. And you're going to have to handle that whole aftermath in the correct way. And you're going to have to have good legal and insurance representation if that happens to you. So hopefully you took that away from that interview as well. But Greg's a law enforcement officer. But where I was going with this is a lot of police officers can't shoot, folks. They can't. I know a lot of police officers that come to IDPA and they suck, folks. They're terrible. I know tons of civilians that can shoot better than the average cop on the street. Unfortunately, and again, I'm not picking on cops. I love cops, all right? Please, please don't send me emails saying that I'm a cop basher. I am not a cop basher. I wish that law enforcement was paid more. I wish we had more law enforcement. I wish they could be with me 24-7, but they can't. They can't be with me 24-7. Police officers are more like historians, as you heard in the interview with Jack Pine Savage. They're a historian. Police officers are showing up at the scene of the crime to record the history of events. More often than not. They're not there to protect. I know that their cars say to protect and serve, but they just can't be everywhere all the time. So I'm not picking on cops, I'm just facing reality. Alright? And unfortunately a lot of police officers can't shoot because they don't get a lot of shooting training. They just don't. Unfortunately, the departments don't require a lot of training for them to uh, be qualified and be certified. And unfortunately, a lot of the police departments do not pay for police officers to go get extracurricular training. And that's unfortunate. I'd gladly pay a little bit more tax money if I knew for sure that the money was going to teach police officers how to be better shots. So if you are a law enforcement official and you're listening to this show today, uh, please take take what I'm saying to heart. Save some money, budget, and go take a one-day or two-day defensive handgun force 
cops. Please, please do that, police officers. I, I, I beg you, go to IDPA, spend $15 and 150 rounds of ammo. And come shoot IDPA with us. It will sharpen your shooting skills. And you will be able to do your job better as a law enforcement officer. If you have to... And folks, you know, you guys who are... You, you men and women. I don't want to exclude women here. There's a lot, of, a lot of good women police officers. You men and women who are in the military or in law enforcement. Or maybe you're retired military. Maybe you're not active anymore. Keep your shooting skills sharp. It is a survival skill. Come join us at International Defensive Pistol Association. I'm at uh, at, uh, at Collin County IDPA, which is in Greenville, Texas. I'm there about once a month, locally here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm also out in Fort Worth about once a month. So about twice a month, I'm going somewhere to shoot a pistol training match because I want to keep my... And I'm a civilian. I'm not ex-law enforcement or ex-military. I'm a civilian. I realize it's a skill, folks. I want to keep my skill sharps. sharp. Now, there's a lot of skills out there you have to sharpen up on. Yes, you know, as you heard in the interview with Steve from Alabama recently, that I just had on the show recently, Steve from Alabama. What a great interview that was. You know, he learned the skill of canning blueberries. And maybe you're learning gardening. And maybe you're the kind of person that you're learning uh, a first aid. Maybe you're taking a first aid course or a, or a volunteer first responder course or something like that. Or maybe you're learning uh, backwoods survival skills or you're learning wilderness survival skills. Whatever. Whatever skill that you're learning, great. It's a skill. That's good. All right? You're, you're doing what I had mentioned earlier in this podcast. You're putting skills before gear or you're making it just as important to know something, to know how to do something. And that's more important to you or just as important to you as the gear you possess. My goal in this show is to motivate you to put shooting up there as a list of the skills that you need to know for a variety of reasons which I hope I've done a decent job of laying out in this show the reasons why you need to be able to learn how to shoot and ladies and gentlemen and fellow survivalists here's what I want to say as I start to close this show shooting is also fun You know, let's keep what we do as a survivalist, as a prepper, let's keep it fun. Steve from Alabama, in uh, in the recent interview I did with him, he talked about that. It's got to be fun. Hey, shooting is fun too, folks. Shooting is a great family bonding uh, uh, sport. You ever notice that? People, families that go out and shoot together, they usually have a great time. And if you know somebody who's anti-gun... Let me urge you to do something with somebody who is anti-gun. Invite them to have a little bit of fun and take them out shooting. I guarantee you 80%, 90% of the time, you take somebody who's anti-gun, you take them out shooting, and they're going to have a blast. A lot of people are anti-gun because they don't know anything about guns. And all they've done is they've listened to a bunch of pinheads in their life tell them how guns are bad, guns are bad, guns are bad. Unfortunately, some of those pinheads that told them guns are bad were their parents. That's a shame. Guns are not bad, folks. Now, guns can be used in a bad way, I understand. And there are criminals who use guns in bad ways. And we're never going to get all the guns out of the hands of the criminals. Do you understand that? You know, for for some of you listening to this show that might be anti-gun, there's no way we're going to get all the guns out of the criminals' hands. It's not going to happen. 
I don't care what law is passed, what feel-good law that politicians pass. And they're just feel-good laws because they don't work. No matter what feel-good law that they pass to try to take guns out of the hands of criminals, it's not going to work. It never has worked. And all those feel-good laws do is take guns out of the law-abiding citizens and the survivalists like you and me. All it does is take them out of our hands. And we're the ones who need them the most to defend ourselves against the thugs who do get guns. We need our guns, folks, to be able to put food on the table if the stink does hit the fan. We need our guns to be able to dispatch animals that want to do us and our family and our property harm. And especially after the stink hits the fan. You need the gun to shoot that snake if you're out hiking and the snake is, is going to try to bite you. You need the gun if you're out in the wilderness and a bear raids your camp and your life is in danger, folks. And that's what those feel-good laws do. They take guns out of the hands of people like you and me who need them. So take an anti-gun person out shooting. And once they start to like it, take him to an IDPA match. Take him to a USPSA match. Enroll in a one-day basic defensive pistol course. There is a reason, folks, why the number of concealed carry permits is incredibly on the rise. We are seeing in record numbers, record numbers, people applying for their concealed carry. And, of course, you probably guessed that the fastest-growing segment of concealed carriers, women. Women are the fastest by far. It's like three to one more women getting their concealed carry permit than men. It's huge, folks. And I can understand why. Ladies, don't be anti-gun. Get your concealed carry license. But do more than that. Because you, you don't have to hardly know how to shoot to get your concealed carry license. That's nothing. Take a class. Go to the range and say, look, you know, money's kind of tight, but about all I can afford is a one-day basic defensive handgun class. You'd be surprised. They're not much money. Put some money aside for a couple of months till you can afford it and go take that class. Don't ignore that as part of your survival skills. That's what I'm saying. Not just to you ladies out there, but I'm saying that to everybody. Kids, get kids involved in learning the shooting skill. Hey, think about this. What if the stink hits the fan really bad? And what if you've got some kids that are of age to be able to responsibly handle a firearm? Perhaps they can help you procure food. Perhaps they can shoot a few animals that will put food on the table, couldn't they? By the time I was 11 years old, I knew how to shoot a duck, a pheasant, a grouse, squirrels, rabbits. So yeah, kids can help too. Kids can help in the survival skill. They can help in a survival situation if you have to put food on the table. But they can't help if they haven't been trained, if they haven't been introduced to the responsible ownership of firearms, and if they haven't developed that shooting skill. Don't put, the, don't put a gun in a kid's hands if the kid's not trained. That's reckless and dangerous. That's wrong. That's again, that's, In a lot of places, that's against the law, and it's wrong, and it's irresponsible, and it's reckless, and it's dangerous. But put a gun in the hands of a child, not a child, but a responsible young adult. That's what I meant to say. Put, the, put a gun in the hands of a, res, a responsible young adult who's had some training, and they can be a huge asset. They can help you defend. They can help put food on the table. 
and they can have a lot of fun. Shooting is an excellent family sport. It's an excellent bonding sport. You know, I love some of the posts that, that Lisa Bedford's put on her blog, thesurvivalmom.com. Thesurvivalmom.com. Check out her blog. It's great. She's uh, interviewed on this show before. And she talks about how shooting is such a great family sport. I did a show on that, by the way, shooting as a family sport, over at the Handgun World show that I do, if you want to check that out, too, at handgunworld.com. It is a great family activity, folks. If nothing else, it is a lot of fun. And survival needs to be fun. And all the skills that you learn as a survivalist need to be fun. Because you know what? If they're not fun, you're not going to keep on doing it. So, at the very minimum, learn to shoot to have some fun. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. So with that, I'll close the show. I am Bob Main, and you have just listened to today's survival show, where it's my goal to help you harness the power of choice. To live life the way you want to live it and strengthen your resolve. Be a better shot. Have some more fun. So as I always like to say, do what you can with whatever you have, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I hope you have a great time. I hope you got something from this podcast, and I will catch you next time. Take care.